while they're headed out, if you'll turn to Colossians 4, we are in the home stretch here in our study of, called Unrivaled, a study in Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. Today we're going to be looking at, at verses 2 through 4. I tried to get 5 and 6 in there, but it, it wasn't happening. And uh, it'd been, it's long enough, and there's too much here, and we're just going to look at 2 through 4. And uh, Last week we looked at Christ's Lordship. And, and how our submission to His Lordship was revealed, was expressed through glad submission, glad submission to the authorities that were over us, uh, whether it be a husband, whether it be a wife, whether it be a child, whether it be a slave, as it mentioned, and we talked about that, an employee, an employer, a master. And, and that connects to what we see in our text today. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness here, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. We talked about last week that, again, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. we have been bought with a price. We, we are not our own. We are to glorify, therefore, we are to glorify God in our bodies. Why? Because we have a master. We exist. 1 Peter 2, 9 says that we exist as believers. We are a chosen priest, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, he says, who exists to declare the excellencies of the one who has called us. We, we exist to the glory of our master. We, 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 are, we are here to do the work of our master. And we said that last week, that Paul makes the transition he makes sure that, again, everyone understands as a believer, as a believer, you, uh, you're a slave. You're a slave to God. He's your master. As a believer, you, you are not saved to, to have fire insurance, so to speak, and then go off and live however you want to live, and just when it comes to the end of the days, you just pull out your, your insurance card and you get into heaven. That, that's not salvation. You've been saved and put on a mission to the glory of your master. God is our Father. Christ is our Savior. Holy Spirit's our helper. But listen, we've been bought with a price. That we exist for the glory of the one who has saved us. And, and that's that is what Paul transitions with on Master there to close out kind of the what now. If Christ is all in all, we're to do everything to His glory. First, Colossians 1.18, that, that Christ would be preeminent, that He would be first, above all else in everything. And Paul now deals with the, okay, so, so what now, so to speak? You, you and I have been called to go and make disciples. To go and make disciples, to, to seek and save the lost um, with the gospel that we've been saved with. We've been commissioned to go and share that with those around us. And that's where Paul closes. He starts to close with how does that take place? If, if we're going to, again, if we're going to do this, how, how? And that's what Paul deals with here beginning in verse 2. And, and you see your main point there on your, on your handout. If we're going to participate effectively, effectively 
in the proclamation of God's redemptive acts. That's the gospel, how God has offered redemption to His lost creation. He's given us that task of taking this gospel that we've been saved with, saved by, and share it with others. If we're going to do that effectively, Paul tells us here that we must be devoted to prayer. And a specific type of prayer, specific content to prayer. Opportunities and the words to speak. If we're going to participate effectively in this, and let me ask you something. What is your attitude? If, I, if you had to write down these two questions, and maybe they're one question, but what is your attitude towards prayer? If I asked you that today, if you thought, what is your attitude towards prayer? And, and I would back that up with this. What's your theology of prayer? If you had to write that down, what is your attitude towards prayer? What is your theology of prayer? What, what, what would you say? What would you write? Think about that. I think, I think on paper, we would give the right answer. But let me, let me, let me give it just as the Lord, just as I prayed through and just, the, you know, I have to preach these sermons to myself and the text, you know, lays over my own life first and uh, I can get as busy as the next person and, and forget prayer and I can, res, res, you know, rely on myself and forget prayer. Here's, here's what the Lord laid on my heart, I feel like, with regards to how do you really answer that? The real answer to the questions, in spite of what we say, in spite of what we would put on paper, in spite of what we would tell others, here's how we know what our, what our theology and attitude towards prayer is. How much do you pray? And what do you pray for? We, we can say all day long what our theology and what our attitude about prayer is, but here's how we know what our attitude to prayer is. How are we devoted to prayer, meaning how much do we pray? And when we do pray, what's the content of those prayers? And again, go all the way back to how we began this series with, with how we relate to God. We talked about those false postures before God that we can live life for God or life from God or life over God or life under God. All of those are false versus life with God. The, the real answer to our theology and attitude towards prayer is found in how often we do it. And when we do pray, what are those prayers comprised of? That really shows our attitude and our theology of prayer. I, I think you would agree. As convicting as that might be, I, I think it's accurate. We, we can't say that we really believe in prayer and then not pray. We, we can't say, you know, we can't say that, you know, if we, and then if we hog prayers and they're all about us and they're all about stuff and they're all about worldly comforts and things of this world, then again, we're telling on ourselves what our theology of prayer is and what the purpose of prayer is. And what Paul does here is Paul presents a very opposite approach to prayer. And, and Paul dives in to prayer here as we close Colossians, and it's huge, it's not accidental. He's tying it in, with our, again, with our confession of Christ's lordship, with, with Christ being, again, with our master. And that translates into our pattern of life. If He is our master, then we exist to do His bidding. Then again, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, Indeed, this life is not our own, for we have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. 
And, and you and I as believers, again, we exist to declare the excellencies of the one who has saved us. We've been given a commission. We've been given a mission. We've been given a charge. We've been given orders as soldiers. And that is to take this gospel and go and make disciples. Not just converts, disciples. Grow people up. Mature people in Christ, Ephesians 4, so that they will not be children, that they would be mature, that they would not be tossed around by every wind and wave and trickery of doctrine. We're to grow up in all respects to salvation, 1 Peter 2. And, and again, we've got to understand that we've been saved for a reason, for a purpose, and it's the glory of our great God who saved us, and also to share with others that same gospel that our sins were forgiven by. We're to take that same gospel that God saved us through and go preach that to others. As Christ is our master. And, and again, one of the ways that, again, one of the ways that we declare our, the lordship of Christ, that he is our master, is one of the ways that we declare his excellencies is through right Prayer, and, and specifically, as we get into here, prayer that surrounds the mission of making disciples, of sharing the gospel, of advancing the gospel. And, and the great joy and privilege that you and I have been granted as believers is God has given us the joy and the privilege of being a part of, of that redemption of seeing lost sinners be saved and reconciled to their Creator. God has given us the joy and the privilege of being a part of that. And, and the way that that happens, the way that, that we're fueled for that, the way that we're resourced for that, the way that that happens, and again, the way that we express the, the Lordship of Christ, the way that you express that He's all in all, the way that we express He's preeminent, is through praying about that mission. Not just about me. Not just gimme, 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 gimme. It's Lord, equip me. Lord, go before me. Lord, help me. And, and what we see here is that prayer, again, prayer drives everything. Especially the advancement of the gospel. This is a spiritual battle. We're, we're, uh, we're up against demonic forces. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, in whose, talking about non-believers, it says, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the hearts and the minds of the unbelieving. This is a supernatural battle. We need supernatural resources. This is not simply a, a fleshly thing. There's a spiritual battle going on. A, a, a sinner repenting of their sin and being reconciled to their Savior is a supernatural thing. They, they, they can't do it on their own. We need God to help. To do it. I mean, even in, even in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, listen. But a natural man, talking about an unbeliever, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. Do you understand the gospel to a non-believer? That'd be like me, someone speaking French to me, and expecting me to understand French. I don't speak the language. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need an interpreter. When we go to these foreign countries, again, I stand right by the interpreter. I'll get as close. I, I don't go far. Ask Christy. We wear Christy out on these trips. Ask Madeline. Madeline Knight, wear out the interpreters. 
I can't understand the language. We, we need supernatural resources because the task at hand is supernatural. And that's what Paul gets out here. Again, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, verse 2, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well. What does he pray for? What is he asking for prayers for? That God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. That is an amazing thought to me, and we'll get into this, that Paul, the writer of Romans, the the most clear, in-depth explanation of the gospel that we have, in my opinion, and yet he asks for clarity? He asks for words to speak? He asks that God would open a door? This is Paul. Like, did you forget Romans? And Paul yet is praying, help me understand, help me communicate clearly the mystery of the gospel. You did that pretty good in Romans. And yet Paul is praying that. That's amazing to me. And what becomes even more amazing to me is how much Paul relied on it, but then convictingly how much little I tend to rely on it, how much in my own wisdom I think I can do this on my own and rely on human flesh and strength. And what, what I want us to see here, this is a two-parter. We're only going to get to number one because verses five and six go along with it. So number one on your handout, we'll give you number two next week. But our mission as believers in displaying the unrivaled nature of Christ is fueled by our private prayer life. Our, our mission, our commission is fueled in seeking and saving the lost, in preaching the gospel, in, in sharing the gospel with the people around us, is fueled by prayer. And I want to I do this today by answering a couple of questions, just so that we're all on the same, play, on the same page and, and, and understand what these things are, the terms. Sometimes you get in a conversation with somebody and using the same words, and you're, but you're thinking of different definitions. And that can, be, that can be difficult. And so I, I want to ask the first thing, what is prayer? What is prayer? Devote yourselves to prayer. Okay, well, what is prayer? If I asked you that, what is prayer, what would you say? Why does God avail Himself to us through prayer? Why is it commanded? What is this thing that we're to be devoted to in verse 2? And in simplest terms, you see it on your handout, prayer could be defined as asking God for help. Asking God for help in its simplest terms. If we wanted to go deeper and more technical, you could look at the Westminster Catechism number 98. And listen to what it says. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the help of the Spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. I think all the components of prayer are right there. Sometimes you hear people talk about the word acts, spell out the acronym acts, acknowledgement, confession, supplication, thanksgiving. Or I guess that would just be act. Sorry, make up another S. I said, I think it does. Oh yeah, I can't even spell. What did I just spell? A-C-T, A-C-S-T, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Thank you. Spelling 101. Clearly Karen does a lot of the teaching in our house. Just give me math. If it was math, I could do it. 
No, but that's really a, 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 what our prayers are to be built on. If we were honest, if we were honest, most of us focus on the S, supplication. We skip the adoration, telling God how great He is. Run real quick through the confession. Run real quick through the thanksgiving. Park on the S, the supplication. And I think if we were honest, much of that supplication revolves around us. Not around the mission that God has left us with. Not around the opening of the hearts of our lost friends and neighbors to the gospel. Not around give us the words to speak clearly the gospel. And, and, and again, when I say things, you know, when I say asking God for things, by things... What I, don't, what I don't believe the word primarily deals with is, is stuff. I think it really is to do with our heart's desire and needs. And what we need more than anything is God Himself. To know Him, to trust Him more, to love Him more, to obey Him, to align our life with His desire. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, it says, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that, that that's not a promise that He'll just do whatever you want Him to do. What He's saying there is when you delight yourself in the Lord, He then gives you new desires in your heart that align with your delighting in the Lord. Do you see what I'm saying? See, our prayers follow delight. Our asking follows the thing that we delight in. And when we delight in self most, guess where most of our prayers surround? Self. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he'll, you, again, you, you get new desires. You get desires that are in line with your delight, namely in Him, desires that glorify Him. Your life, you begin to align your life with, with the desires. So that's really an, a, a huge part of what prayer involves. And in a broad sense, prayer includes that. But, but speaking precisely... Prayer is a request out of a need. And remember we said a couple weeks ago, again, he says, with an attitude of thanksgiving, we said a couple of weeks ago that, that being thankful, to say thank you was an acknowledgement to someone else that they met a need for you that you didn't meet or couldn't meet. And interestingly enough, thanksgiving is a key component of praying. Why? We're acknowledging that God is the one who has to do this. That God is the one who meets our needs. And in that sense, you'll see it there. Prayer is an expression of our dependence upon God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. A, a prayer is an expression of dependence. That's, think about that. That's what he, why he says, devote yourselves to prayer. You and I, believer, are totally whether we acknowledge it or not or think about it, we're totally dependent on Christ. We're totally dependent. Every, every ounce of our existence is dependent. We saw that in Colossians. He holds all things together by the counsel of His will. We're dependent. And, and not just ourselves. Again, connect this to the, to the context, the overall message of worship and gospel advancement, that Christ would be all in all, that no matter what we do, we would do it to His glory and His lordship and, and Him being our, our master. Again, keep this in the context. This is about lordship. This is about gospel advancement. This is about our, our purpose as believers. And, and what Paul says here, 
is that one of the most important, you see it on your handout, important practices that we as believers can devote ourselves to in relation to God is prayer. And it's not, it's not ironic, it's not, it's not accidental that that is one of the one things that I believe Satan, through busyness and self-reliance and self-dependence, keeps us from participating in. Probably, if we were all agree that, that we would all agree that we, I think we would all agree that we probably that we should pray more. I think if we gave a self-assessment, we would agree if we were honest, most of us, that we should pray more. And yet, that's one of the most fundamental needs that we have as believers. I don't think it's, I don't think it's accidental that, that Satan attacks us, and, and even in our own self-dependence and sin, that's one of the things that we neglect. And listen, why is that so important? Because when we pray, we're asking a sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, total control, all the resources at his beck and call God to help us. Think about that. We're calling on him to help us. And when we pray, we are expressing our faith in him. We're we're expressing complete adequacy, that he has complete adequacy. We're expressing dependence. I mean, if you go to John 15, 5, conversely, a Christian who does not pray is demonstrating an attitude of independence from God. Self-reliance. Again, that's that's why you see, again, thanksgiving attached to it. Reminding ourselves that it's Christ who is meeting the need. It's, again, it's submitting to his lordship gladly. And, and all of us, all of us, listen, all of us have a tendency to allow our own wisdom to our, and to allow our own strength, our own abilities to begin to rival that of Christ. And, when we, and, and we become self-reliant. Our tendency is towards self-reliance and towards self-dependence. And when we don't, when we do that, we don't pray. And listen, when we don't pray, you see it on your handout, when we don't pray as believers, we're communicating to everyone that we don't need God to intervene on our behalf. That's what we're communicating. I, I was watching a movie, and, and this just, I don't know if this, my mind goes to it. And it was on TNT, and so they, they cleaned it up a little bit, a lot, and uh, a lot, Thankfully. And I, and I had wanted to see that. I, I like movies that are built on true stories and real stories, and this one is built on a true story. And um, it's about some military guys who, who went on a, a, on a very uh, a dangerous mission, and, and only one of them survived. And, and this is the story. And I, there were, I, I, Karen and the kids were out, and so I, I, I was watching it, and there are about four times in the movie that, that when it really gets into the crux of the movie where I had to stop the movie and I just found myself weeping. And these four guys, these four guys, they were, I, I don't know, I think they were Marines. I don't know, Jim could probably tell, you, tell me specifically. Anyway, they, they had, the, the, what struck me is they had, a, they had a walkie-talkie and the commanding officer in that four had a password and if they got in, a, if they got, they were all alone, but if they got in a spot where they needed help, 
they could punch that code in into that walkie-talkie and just like that, support would be in on them. And what, what, was, what, what, what caused me, what was one of the parts that caused me to weep is because they couldn't get to a spot where the walkie-talkie would work. They were trying desperately. They couldn't get to a spot where it would work because of the terrain and all that. And finally, one guy, at the cost of his life, went up on a spot and was able to punch the code in. And guess what? Backup came. And I thought about it. That's what prayer is. Prayer is that walkie-talkie where God says, Listen, the battle is stronger than you. It's bigger than you. Humble yourself and call for backup. I've availed myself to you. I've offered myself to you. But see, listen to this. If those guys weren't catching, when they weren't ca- taking on fire, they didn't need to call for backup. When they, again, but when the, when the enemy, and it just so happened, they, some people stumbled upon them and gave away their, their position. The whole thing went south. But they were calling for backup. And I thought, that's what prayer is. See, on the other side, there were all these helicopters and all these gunners and all this ammunition that they didn't have, and all it was it was a phone call away. If you get in bad spot, it's a phone call away. And that's what prayer is. It's a call for, it's a call for the God and the creator of the universe to help, to do what we can't do of our own. And you know what those guys, they were communicating when he punched that code in, we need help. And Paul says, devote yourself. I was amazed at how protective they were, again, of the walkie-talkie. How careful they were with that walkie-talkie. Why? Because that was their lifeline. They were devoted to it. The, The word there means to give constant attention and priority. Prayer. It's asking God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. It is an expression of dependence. That's what is prayer. Secondly, second, I want to ask the question, how, how are we to pray? And, and I, think, I think even because of the effect of, uh, of John Piper and reading his books and some others just understanding prayer on my, in my own walk, and, and that's why that movie was so impactful because... John Piper, and, 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 and we've seen the video in here, but John Piper once famously said this, the reasons we feel so weak in our prayer lives is that we have tried to make a domestic intercom out of a wartime walkie-talkie. He says, prayer has been given as a wartime walkie-talkie, and we as believers have ter- tried to turn it into a domestic intercom. He goes on to say that that prayer was not meant to call the butler to come into the room to fluff your pillow and to change your sheets. It was meant to call in the commanding officer to send soldiers in for backup. It's not a a domestic intercom. It's a walkie-talkie because we're in a war. Prayer is not meant primarily to be an intercom between us and God to serve the domestic wants and comforts of the saints. It's it's meant to be a a walkie-talkie to call in backup because because the enemy is greater than we are. And we're taking on We're taking on fire. This is a spiritual battle. 
And, and we need, we, the, the prayer is a link between active soldiers and their command headquarters. And at those command headquarters, there is unlimited firepower and air cover and strategic wisdom all at our beckon. And what Paul teaches us here is, again, prayer should divide, define our entire existence. It, that, throughout that movie, they were constantly, these four guys, constantly talking to each other. Constantly communicating. And we have to see prim, prayer primarily as a way for believers, listen, to participate in the unfolding of God's redemptive plan in history. It's about the gospel. It's about bearing fruit. It's about the advancement of the kingdom. It's about helping us in our spiritual battles rather than primarily a way to just get our personal needs met. I'm not saying we, again, pray for everything. He's told us that. I'm not arguing that. I'm simply saying that I think we've neglected the spiritual battle aspect of prayer. That this is primarily, especially here in our text, about gospel advancement, about God being glorified. About believers participating in the advancement of the gospel and the advancement of God's kingdom. And, and again, back to our context, this is the heavenly mindset he says we're to have at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 2. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things below. And, and what Paul says here, he gives us some characteristics of prayer and, and, and how we're to pray here. And the first one there is we're to be devoted to prayer. If you look at Acts 1.14 and Romans 12.12, 12, you'll see regularly that the word devotion is, is connected to praying. And again, Paul, even in this letter, he's already said that. Listen to 1.3, Colossians 1.3. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Do you see Paul's devotion to prayer? 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. Again, thanks is connected to praying. What he's saying here is that we are to come back to prayer again and again and again. I laughed, I laughed when I came across this because um, there's two unnamed individuals in our household that cannot get rid of a cough. And the word devotion there literally, literally in the Greek would be like a nagging cough. And, and there's, we're sleeping in all different kinds of beds, all different bedrooms just to get away from a nagging cough. There's a certain nine-year-old who likes to sleep in our bed. He'd come in about nine o'clock or about three o'clock every night, and she gets kicked out every night because she can't stop coughing. Do that in your own room, not in this room. Now, that probably puts me in bad light as a parent, but I get good sleep. <laughs> and I've found that I'm a better parent when I sleep better, and a better husband when I sleep better, and probably a better pastor when I sleep better. So go to your own room if you're going to do that. Nagging cough. There you go. See that? It's, it's, it's contagious. And, 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 and we're given a couple of examples of this. In Luke 11, 5-8, you remember the story of the neighbor who, who is late at night and he doesn't have bread and he goes over to his neighbor's house and he, he will not stop knocking until his neighbor wakes up and gives him bread 
to, to feed his family and his guests. And then later on, you see in Luke 18, 1 through 8, you have the, the parable of the persistent widow, and she will not quit pleading with the judge to grant her request. She doesn't quit pleading until the judge grants her request. And the point of these, again, it's not that God is unwilling, it's that we're to be persistent and dependent in prayer. And I think those represent real, real big desires. That's why they are persistent. If you and I were honest, part of the reason why we don't persist in our prayers is because a lot of times we're just throwing out fleeting wants, just passing wants. They're really not deep, settled desires. They're just temporary. They come and go, and we're just tossing them around, and we don't persist on them. Why? Because it's really not a desire. It's just a passing want. It's fleshly, it's temporary, it's not, tempor- it's not permanent and spiritual. And we're just kind of like a Gatling gun, just firing off these temporary things to God. And, and they're not deep-seated, they're not gospel-centered, deep-seated things. Pray with devotion, he says. And again, that's rooted in how bad do you want it. That's the picture in Luke 11 and 18, how badly do you want it? Be devoted. We need hearts that reflect God's heart. We need to delight in the things that the God delights in, namely the salvation and the maturity of the lost. The maturity and growth of the saved. Be devoted. But not only devoted, he says, devote yourself to prayers. He says, keeping alert. We're commanded to be watchful in prayer. I'm reminded of, uh, again, of of John Piper's analogy, and and I want to lean heavily on it here because I believe it's so pertinent. He He says there that we must realize that Satan knows the danger of prayer as a walkie talkie. He says, and because of that, he will try everything he can to cause us not to pray or depend on prayer. And I think one of the ways that Satan does that and distracts us is filling our lives with clutter of non essentials. Clutter, busyness. I think another way he convinces, and, and again, this is, Piper uses the illustration, he, Satan tries to get us convinced that the walkie-talkie doesn't work. And one of the ways he does that is through busyness and clutter. And another way he does that is, is to convince us, again, that it doesn't work and... and, and all these things are thrown up there that don't really matter, that aren't in line with God's glory, and therefore they don't get answered. Or, or in busyness, we can't endure because we're so busy and, and, and that we can't endure long periods of devoted prayer. That because we're so busy and so worldly focused, we can't get our minds to focus on God. Anybody ever struggled with just focusing in prayer? I mean, you start to pray and your mind is already at my, my 10 o'clock meeting, my 11 o'clock meeting, my 1 o'clock meeting, my 10 all worldly stuff. It's a battle. And, and he's saying, be watchful, be devoted, be aware of Satan's tactics, concentrate. Satan does not want us to devote ourselves to prayer because it's powerful in our own lives and it's powerful in his destruction. Again, you see it in Ephesians 6.18. He says, be alert about putting on the armor of God. Be alert. And again, the very last thing he says there in verse 18 is prayer about the armor of God. The word here means don't be haphazard. When he talks about keeping alert, don't be forgetful. 
It means you take strong steps that it would be a, a serious part of your life. It's not 1047, is it? My watch doesn't say that. Is it 1037? Good for y'all. Again, that's to be our approach. Look at that. Even when I buy a clock, it's fighting against me. <laughs> Satan knows how powerful and how important prayer is, how effective it is, and how needed it is for us as soldiers. And through every effort, he will try to get us to not pray. And, and, and even worse than that, to rely on self. To rely on self. But, but also, he says, not only devoted and watchful, but thankful. Thankful. And I think before we get either confused about God's sovereignty and control or before we get overwhelmed and distraught because sometimes it seems like Satan is winning, Paul throws in this reminder here about about thankfulness. And again, context, Christ's lordship. And, And in these spiritual battles, we must remember that the Lord is sovereign, that he is in total control, that progress is being made on all strategic fronts, that the battle is the Lord, that again, as, as Daniel led us this morning, look to the cross. The cross has the final word. Satan is defeated. He's defeated. Be thankful. We fight from a position of victory. And again, you, you remind yourselves that... that Remind yourselves of Satan in the wilderness and Satan was defeated and in Gethsemane he was defeated and on the cross he was defeated and at the tomb he was defeated. That all of those, all of those battlefronts were won by Christ. And, and again, that's what Paul has an eye to when he says our praying is to be done in thanksgiving. He's saying keep your eyes on the victory that God has won. And wait, wait until you enjoy the spoils of that victory. And while you wait, live as a victor. Listen, we don't fight as losers. We don't fight in a battle where we're uncertain as to what the outcome is. It's already been won. Fight. I mean, that's what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven with regards to the, to the resurrection in that. He says... But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 58, here's the application of the resurrection. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Why? Because Christ has risen. The victory is won. He's saying pray thankfully. And yet fight. And in fighting and in praying, we're declaring to everyone around us that our dependence is on Him, that He is our all in all. We fight in faith and we fight in dependence through prayer. And God, the the beauty here is that all throughout Scripture, whether it's Proverbs 15, 8, the prayer of the upright is His delight, Isaiah 65, 24, it will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will will hear. Go to Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen all day and all night. They will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establish and makes Jerusalem a praise to the earth. God delights in answering our prayers. 
He wants to be asked. He loves to be asked. He loves to be asked. But, but, but we've got to ask for the right things. We can't be like the individual who says, Hey, you who ask for a stone, a, a loaf of bread, will your father give him a stone? And you ask for a stick, will your father give him a snake? The problem is, we, what we don't know is that oftentimes our prayers, and when they're selfishly motivated, we're asking for a stone. And we're asking for a snake, we just don't know it. And so our Father, being good, says, I'm not going to give you that. I'm just not. Prayer is not some small, inconsequential, marginal thing. It is huge. In many cases, prayer is at the heart of why God created the universe. At the, the center of a created universe is, is man created in the image of God and who would rely on their Creator for everything that would experience fellowship and intimacy with their Creator through prayer. God would be glorified through a creation depending on Him. So how to, what is prayer? Asking. Dependence. How to pray devotedly, watchfully, thankfully. Lastly, real quick, why pray? Why pray? Look at verse 3. Praying at the same time for us as well that God would open a door to us for the world so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ which we have been imprisoned that I may speak it clear in the way I ought to speak. Everything about that right there has to do with presenting the gospel to unbelievers. Speaking forth the gospel to those around us. Again, that, that's the whole spirit there. Paul, Paul sent the center of his prayer. Everything Paul asked for is centered on the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel, not himself. I mean, Paul is in prison because of the gospel, and yet he's praying that the gospel would advance. Read Philippians. Same thing. He's praying that the gospel would have... And nothing about that was, get me out of here. Why am I here? I've done everything right. Why? No, no. He says, keep advancing the gospel. Keep advancing the gospel. Literally, Colossians is almost seen as him smuggling a letter out of prison to, to get saints praying for him that God would send reinforcements. Gospel progress, not comforts. Spiritual battle. I mean, again, he's in prison. And Paul had a greater concern about getting the gospel out through his imprisonment than getting himself out of imprisonment. He was more concerned about getting the gospel out even in his imprisonment than he was about getting out of his imprisonment. And, 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 and again, clarity. Paul asking for clarity. Paul asking for wisdom. I mean, think about that. If Paul needed that, how much more do you and I need that? Again, the writer of, of most of the books of the New Testament. I give you Romans. And yet he's asking for clarity. He's asking for the right words to speak according to the moment. He's asking for opportunities. He's asking for sensitivity to discern those opportunities. 
He's asking, when I, have a, when I have an opportunity, make my speech clear, he says. Give me the words. Again, not a presentation, not sit there and let me go through my presentation. No, no, no. He's, he's saying, give me the discernment to see the opportunities and to weave the gospel into every conversation that I can possibly weave it into. Give me discernment. Give me discernment when to keep my mouth shut and give me discernment when to open my mouth. And when I do with my mouth, fill my mouth with the right words according to the need of the moment. Not sit still while I do my presentation. That's what we've made the gospel out to be. And just this week, as I was preparing this, uh, Bradley and a few other middle school students, on Monday afternoons, they go to an assisted living facility, and um, they sing and, and, and hang out and, and do some music therapy with uh, people who are in the... Uh, the um, I'm trying to think of the right word. Uh, people who have Alzheimer's and are in, the, in, the, in this assisted area of uh, living facility where they're, they're just their mental faculties are, are failing them. And so I, I, I went and picked them up and took them and uh, came, came right back and was trying to get in and the door was locked and they wouldn't open the door because it's locked because these people will try to leave and no one was at the desk and, and this other lady came up that happened to work at the school, the, one of the counselors and we're stuck at this door. We can't get through the door. And literally, she asked me the question, why would your son do this? This is pretty odd for a middle schooler to care. Why would he give up his afternoons to do this? I'm thinking, does she really just ask me that? I mean, like I'm studying about advancing the gospel and Lord, give me the word. I, well, you ain't going through that door. I'm not going through that door. Let me tell you. And so I, sat, I got a chance to sit there and explain the gospel to her. But, but, and I could have very easily, I, you know, partially if I, if I, I, God used that as a reminder of this text, I could have easily just paid attention to myself. I could have checked my email. I could have done a lot of things instead of being mindful that I'm standing at the door with somebody. Stripe a conversation with her. Again, making the most of every opportunity, we've seen that. Being mindful. And I think prayer, is, prayer again, prayer declares our reliance. You see that for everything, especially the advancement of the gospel. Our minds ought to be on advancing the gospel. Our minds ought, we ought, to, we ought to be praying for God to give us wisdom to, to weave the gospel into every conversation that, that, that we can with people. That the Son of God should be, would be a man, would take on flesh, that he would live a life of poverty and love, that he would die in the place of sinners and bear the curse of the law. And that's what I was telling this lady. I said, we believe in, we believe Jesus Christ. And Matthew 20, 28 says, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Philippians 2 says, have this mind that was also in Christ, that though he existed in the form of God, did not regard quality with the God of things to be grasped, but emptied himself. And I'm sharing this stuff with her and saying, you know what? My son is here today because he believes that Jesus is the savior. That's why my son is here. And, and we're trying to teach my son that, that life is more than just about him. It's not about him. There's a Savior who died, who took on flesh and died. God died. That whosoever would call upon him would live. That's why my son is here. Because we as parents are teaching him the gospel. We're teaching him what that means for every aspect of his life. 
to serve. Listen, the, the gospel, that no one in their own mind, no human would have ever dreamed up the gospel. That's what Paul is saying there, the mystery. Not that it's, not that it's unclear, but that it was hidden for so long and now it's been revealed that anyone can be a part of God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. Not just the Jews. Jew and Gentile alike. If you will repent of your sinfulness and cry out to the Lord for salvation, you will be saved. That's the mystery. Jew and Gentile alike. And God has given us the joy of participating and seeing people reconciled to their Savior and King. That ought to, there couldn't be a greater mission to be given than that. No greater joy than that than to see people reconciled to their Creator. To see their sins forgiven. To see them to see spiritual life where there was spiritual death. Literally, literally arise from the dead. You and I have been given that privilege. And, and I pray that we'd be a church that would participate in that. Listen to me, that's how this church will grow. Not through billboards, not through marketing, not through any of the, It will grow through believers doing what believers are called to do, share the gospel. And then bring them in and let's disciple them. That's how the church was meant to grow. And if we don't grow, listen to me, it's going to be a clear indication of a couple things. A lack of consistency outside of these walls with our testimony and our lives not lining up with the gospel or staying quiet with the very gospel that we've been saved by. And I pray that we'd be a people devoted to prayer, but that our prayer would be devoted to the things that glorify God. Kingdom-oriented things. Things that glorify God. That, that, we, would, that we would declare to the, to the world around us our dependence on, on our Savior, that He would be all in all, even, even through our prayers. And if you're here today and, and you don't know this Savior and you're confused about the gospel, I pray that, that, again, that just as with Lydia, that the Lord would open your eyes, that you'd come talk to me. That you'd be humble and admit, I don't know this Savior. I'm not sure of that gospel. I'm not sure I'm saved. It's here. Today is the day of salvation. Whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord, saved.